Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back in. College Golf Talk has returned. It is 2024. Steve Burkowski, Brentley Romine with you. It's been too long, my friend. Hope the holidays treated you well and that you're excited. As college golf's underway, even though it's February 1st, the spring season, as we like to refer. We're off and running. We've got results and uh, the countdown to California underway for the national championships. It's been way too long, Burko. It's been, gosh, what, almost three full months, maybe two and a half months since we've met on this podcast. And you've gone and turned into a college basketball play-by-play announcer how how has that been? I I feel like maybe we should uh, rebrand the pod college golf and basketball talk. Loved it, loved it. Was able to call a handful of games. Uh, Iowa, Nebraska had an Atlantic Ten game a few weeks ago. Uh, thrilled at the opportunity and uh, spread my wings a little bit. It makes sense, right? We're under the peacock umbrella. Show all those uh, true colors uh, in the college uh, world, but uh, enjoyed that thrilled to be back and the story in my opinion 2024 in the entire world of golf a couple weeks ago on the pga tour at the american express nick dunlap university of alabama sophomore a winner first amateur to win in 33 years on the pga tour was thrilled to be there and see it uh firsthand and the man that has seen it front and center for the better part of two, three, four, five years, depending on when golf camps were in Tuscaloosa to the uh, success he's had for the Crimson Tide. J.C. Well, the head men's golf coach at Alabama joining us. Always good to catch up, my friend. And I think we got to get you on the payroll here for all the appearances on all the platforms under our umbrella you have uh, blessed us with over the last couple of weeks. Well, first, you're very kind. I'll get my wife on that. She's my agent, um, and I kid. Uh, no, it was an incredible week, and and Burko, I can't uh, thank you enough for all you uh, you did during the tournament and the kind words and everybody at the Golf Channel, um, and Brentley with you know your your stories and all. It was a a special day and a special weekend, and one we're still reveling in uh, around here today. Yeah, couldn't do it without you, my friend. No doubt about that. We appreciate the, those sentiments. But let's go back to the flight early Sunday to me interviewing you at the turn to, to everything now that you've had some time to, to sort of settle in what, what has that been like for you? And then the decision-making for Nick Dunlap to, while it hurts you kind of a no brainer from my perspective that you, you have to turn professional. How have these last 10 to 12 days been for you? 
Um, very crazy. Um, you know, you, you don't prepare for things like this. You know, you, you say every day you wake up, something different may happen, and it has. But, uh, you know, it was an incredible opportunity, and I, I'm just glad I made it. Um, I'm glad we made the decision. And we were practicing down on the coast when Nick was five under through seven, I believe, on his third round on his way to shoot 60. And we were working and playing and just got finished playing. And um, and we had it on the Golf Channel uh, telecast while we were eating lunch at the club down there. And I looked at the guys and I said, guys, I'm, I'm feeling conflicted because we're practicing, and but I think I need to go. And they said, coach, you need to go. Um, and so – I got in my car and just started driving um, home and it's about a five hour drive. And so I wasn't going to get home until about eight or eight 30. I have no flight. I have no idea how I'm going to get there. And, um, and so basically I, I booked a flight on my phone while I was driving. Um, and if you've ever driven from the coast to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, it is, uh, it's, it, it, it's not it's not interstate and so i'm thankful that i made it home um i didn't you know didn't run into any deer or also run off the road trying to get a flight and and i got a flight first thing in the morning sunday and so you know airlines are are airlines and you know travels travel and so just hoping i could get there because i was already going to get there after the round started and so any delays was going to make it crazy um but it worked out perfectly. Um, got to you guys. You were kind. We got a ride out there. And by the time I got there, he had just birdied the fifth hole to go one under um, on five. And so made it in time to kind of watch when all the drama really started happening right there on that tee shot on seven. Yeah, it was uh, enjoyable. Glad it all went uh, as well as it could these days, hopping on planes and connections. But let's sort of go post-tournament. We, we reveled in all the emotions and the celebrations. What were the days like after when Nick withdrew from the farmers to sit with his family, his teammates, you as a coach? What advice did you impart to him of what entailed his decision-making? Because ultimately it was up to Nick. Yeah, it was, it was real quick. You know, we, I flew out Monday, got a text from him. I'm dropping out of Torrey Pines. At, and I get it. It just shows the maturity of me. So I want to come home and talk. And so got home, I guess, you know, Monday afternoon, Monday, late Monday, and uh, met with he and his family uh, Tuesday morning into, into lunch. You know, met with Nick individually for about an hour and a half um, just to, to talk about things. What was, you know, what was in front of him? What was he thinking? What were his gut? And then we had a meeting with he and his family for about an hour after that. And uh, we already had a um, team meeting set up for 1.30. Um, anyway, um, this was not an impromptu one. This was one we were going to have uh, as a team. After I left, I said, let's just get back together at 1.30 on Tuesday and we'll talk about practice and things like that. Well, it turned out to be more than that. And so we, you know, talking with Nick and his family, what was in front of him, and you could feel the current was pushing him towards being a pro. Um, and, it, and and everything was, it, we were that was what the talks were. But to Nick's credit, he didn't told, has, has not told anybody yet that he wanted to turn professional he wanted that to be his his teammates um in that meeting he didn't even tell me privately that i'm turning pro it was really you know these are the things that were in front of me i feel like i'm leaning towards doing that it wasn't until the private meeting when we gave him the floor in the meeting that he had a chance to to say what his intentions were and to me i just think that just shows the special young man he was you know he could have turned pro hit Tory and just hit the ground running. You know, he was already down there. He's already in the tournament. He's already got his PJ tour card and he chose to fly home uh, and, and, and tell his teammates. Um, and I, you know, you heard him during y'all's telecast. 
and also during the post game that this this decision affected more than just himself. It affected him, you know, with family, his teammates, us, the University of Alabama golf. And to his credit, he took time, um, thought it was selfless who he is, and came and really wanted to work through with his teammates. And I'm being honest, I think if in that meeting the teammates would have felt like he was abandoning them, I think he would at least, I don't know if he would have not turned pro. I think he would have, <laughs> it would have been a long meeting, but the, you know, how he handled it and then how our, we handled it. And Cannon would have had a special moment in there um, because he was almost apologetic. And Cannon really just said, please don't apologize. This is a chance of a lifetime. You're turning pro, we're turning pro with you. Um, we're doing this as a team. And I, I really thought that, you know, meeting, there were a lot of tears. There was a lot of emotion. Um, I'm very proud as a coach that we have a team like that and that our leadership, we have a, a very senior oriented team that was very um, complimentary and, uh, and, and positive toward what Nick wanted and needed to do, which was to turn professional. Now he's obviously debuting today uh, as a pro on the PGA Tour, AT&T, Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Can you give us a little scouting report? on what we might see from Nick this season and his game and your expectations as he enters this new chapter in his life? Uh, I, I expect him to hit the ground running. Um, I think he's that good. I think he's that prepared. And I think he's mentally that strong. You know, this is a, you know the, the weather's going to play a, a tremendous amount this week, but uh, it's not a bad tournament to start in. You, you don't have in a cut. So he doesn't even have to think about things like that. He just gets to play. Um, but I expect him to be, you know, part of this PGA Tour that people are going to talk about, not just because he won last week, but because what he's continually doing. I think he's that good. Um, I really do. Um, I think he actually has a chance to be a, not just a, an instant, a long-term star on the PGA Tour. And so I look forward to, um, to seeing what is in front of him. Golf's a hard game. He's playing against the best players in the world. But um, I know he's not intimidated by that. I know his game is good enough to be around them day in and day out. I think he showed that at Amex um, in any way. Um, but also, I, I, like I said, I would not be surprised if we're not talking about what he's about to do, not what he's done. Mm -hmm. Strokes gain is a big data point or set of data points on tour. Where do you think he slots in kind of in each of those facets right now? Maybe not his potential or, or what he could do, but where do you think he kind of fits in right now as he's a 20 year old now playing with the big boys? I think there's three things. The reason I believe he'll be successful. First, he hits it far. That's, you know, I think that's a data point that's obvious. He hits it pretty straight too, but he has enough speed and, and enough power to play with the big boys because he is a big boy. Um, and I think that's only going to get better and more. He's just 20. Um, second, he's a he's an incredible wedge player, an iron player. So his his proximity is going to be, you know, which I you know is probably the number one stat on, on on the PGA Tour for success. And then the final thing is, you know, when we talk about putting, and we always, you know, is a debate as putter, you know, as a putter. I still think it's what sets apart winning and losing. Um, maybe not from a statistical point of view, but you know, I, I you have to be able to make the putts. Um, and I think he's a He's already been a tour putter for since he was a, a teenager. He's it's probably the most under uh, appreciated part of his game by people outside of of around here. Um, I think he's a phenomenal putter. I think he displayed that um, during the Amex, um, and that's not that wasn't just a hot week. Um, I think it's his best club in his bag. So I think the three things that those three you know 
of the game line him up to be very successful on the PGA Tour for years to come. And then we haven't even really – there's no strokes game for how you think. Um, and uh, that intangible, he's off the chart also. I always say he's, you know, 20 going on 45 just mentally. I think maybe physically as well. I mean, there, there were a couple of revelations, I think, during his press conference last week where he said he threw out his arm playing down the clown at Dave & Buster's before the semis of the AM ruptured his eardrum uh is he a little bit like Humpty Dumpty and 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 what has it been like this last three semesters um you know kind of dealing with the you know the little bruises and uh and and scrapes that that he's gotten and thank god he's at Alabama I mean well you're kind thank you yeah um probably the the one thing we promised, you know, he had a hurt wrist before he came and he went to a lot of specialists and it's, you know, to promise health is, 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 is going out there, but I do trust our, our medical team, our trainer. Um, he's given a lot of credit to our trainer, Clark Holter, um, to getting him to where he is. Um, and so we promised him that in recruiting. I let other people promise money and, and, and things like that, or you're going to play or whatever. It's the only thing we really actually promised him was we're going to get you healthy. And if you're healthy, then you're going to be Nick Dunlap. And so, Yes. Um, so we did do that. The part I, you know, the part you were talking about, the eardrum and the and the hurt shoulder at, at, at the AM is also what I'm proud of. You know, he is an old soul. But after his first semester here, he came up and said, for the first time, I feel like I'm a kid. Um, you know, he, he kind of grew up around an older generation. He played with older people at Greystone and, and, and things like that. He, and, and so when he got here, kind of became a kid. He busted his eardrum, jumping off the off a rock at the lake with his teammates. And so, you know, that's what kids do. That's what young people do. And, you know, he's playing Dave and Buster's to, to relax and uh, to get away. And so I actually was proud of that because um, I want our players to be, you know, to enjoy the, the spot they're in. I don't want them to be 20 and feel like they have to be 40 or they need to be 20. And so though they were uh, things that probably make other people upset, you know, it, we just, you know, embraced it and said, okay, that's what a 20 year old does. You, you know, Hunter wasn't very happy that he busted his eardrum because we wouldn't let him fly on the private flight because we didn't know about a thing. So he had to go down the car. We had to rent him a car and drive eight hours. So there you go. So those, Hunter's the one who paid more for his, did his things than, uh, than, um, than Nick did for sure. That's all the positives, the support he's gotten from you, Hunter, the rest of the team over the last year and a half. But now the reality for you on February 1st, one of the best college players in the game is no longer part of your lineup. What impact does that have beyond the obvious as you try to gear up for the next three months? Well, it, it, that's the elephant in the room, no pun intended here. But uh, and, you know, after Tuesday's um, team meeting, I gave our guys the weather was, you know, we had a lot of rain. It was a lot of rain in the forecast. And I gave them off all the way till Monday first for all of us to kind of soak in what's going on. Um, you know, Nick had a press conference on Thursday and I said, we're going to regroup at seven 30. Uh, no, at nine o'clock, excuse me, uh, Monday morning for a team meeting and all. And so all of us kind of needed to, to um, take it in and try to figure out what we we're going to do moving forward, especially me as a coach with our guys. And the other, some of the guys went, went down to Florida and practice, uh, you know, the, our, our, our graduates did that and some just stayed here. And so, um, that's a great question. You know, we're in day four of that, but I know we hit the ground running on Monday of who are we going to be? You know, we're not going to talk about what we could be and that doesn't matter anymore. Who are we going to be? And, 
you know, we won our last tournament in the fall at Steelwood um, against some pretty good teams. You know, I think Chattanooga is a very good team. It's well coached. And we won that tournament without Nick in the lineup. We, we kept him out of the lineup because of um, he was fatigued from uh, Abu Dhabi playing on the World Am. And so we had had some, some things that we could at least focus on. You know, we had basically uh, played a tournament, prepared for a tournament, and, and, and he was, you know, gallivanting around right now playing tour golf anyway. And so we were already kind of ready for this um, from a he's not in the room point of view. Now, you're obviously correct. We're not going to, you know, t take his score. But how do we become a better team without him? Um, how do we work together? I think the biggest thing we wanted to talk about was we weren't going to try harder. Um, I think if we were trying hard, that means we weren't trying properly the first time. And so I think those are the things we talked about. We've won without him, um, and that was really cool. Um, and it gives us a little bit. And how then do we maximize, uh, you know, our talent and what we have in front of us? We're very old, which I think helps us. You know, we have a lot of seniors. Um, four of our, you know, top six guys are, um, are fifth-year or fourth-year seniors. And so I think that helps. And um, in the end, my job and our message is – what, if he was here, what would we do differently? We would try to be the best we could be. And so we're not going to lose any, um, of, you know, we're not going to try to do anything different than what we're doing. We're just going to try to get better because that's what we're supposed to do every day. If Nick was here, that's what we would do. If he, since he's not here, that's what we're going to do. And we're just going to stay to that mantra. And, and, and we're in it. We're, we're a pretty good team um, with the players we have with Cannon and Thomas Ponder and, and uh, Jonathan Grizz and, J and JP Cave and Austin Coggin, those guys have helped us tremendously in the fall and in their past. And I think we have a chance to, um, if we rally together and do the right things every single day, to still be a good golf team. Jay, I think us at College Golf Talk, we rank the Alabama big time departures. One, Nick Dunlap, and then you go down a little ways to number two, Nick Saban. Um, that's just how we roll and, <laughs> and operate here. I remember having Florida State coach Trey Jones on a couple of years ago, maybe a year and a half ago, and he shared a really cool Bobby Bowden story about how Coach Bowden used to drive his car up on the driving range. And one day the GM or the owner of the club was like, hey, you need to tell Mr. Bowden that he can't be doing that because um, he wanted the AC, wanted to kind of pop in his car, then go out, hit a few balls and go back in the car. And Trey goes, you know, I will go and ask him if he wants anything to drink, if he wants me to give him a tip, but I am not telling him to move his car. Like that was just a thing. Do you have any any stories? Because I know Nick has probably spent a lot of time at your guys' facility, hitting balls, kind of talking with the guys. What's the definitive Nick Saban Alabama golf story? Well, I have a lot, actually. He very similar to Coach Bowden. He loves to come and hit balls here in the spring. Um, after, you know, usually right after spring ball. Uh, and, and so sometime in April, he starts coming here every day um, and hitting balls late in the afternoon. You know, have the sun stays out a lot longer. So 5 to 5.30, coach would start showing up, hit balls. We're, all, we're on the way. We're only about a couple of miles from his house from here anyway. And so this is where his first stop before he went home. And so he'd always do it. One of my favorite stories was we were having golf camp. And this is 1st of June. And – I think we had just won the national championship. So there's a lot of euphoria around here anyway. And literally we have kids lined up. We probably have 75 kids this year at camp and they're just lined up hitting balls and we got them in the putting and the chipping. And he texted or called and just says, do you mind if I come out and hit balls? I said, we do. We just got 
golf camp. You might want to come out. We break for, you know, for lunch. I mean, for, for dinner, uh, supper around five, five thirty. I can't remember what I told him. And, and so I thought he would come out after that. Well, he came out at like four thirty, And so there's this line of cl- kids hitting balls from the ages of 10 to 17 years old hitting balls and on the end of them literally he just pulled himself up and plopped his bag down and he's hitting right in the middle of them he i mean he didn't go off to the side of the range and at first the kids had no idea who it was because they were busy doing what they were doing and then all of a sudden they just all looked up and there's nick's you know coach nick saban is in the middle of golf camp you know hitting right beside all these kids and of course every phone every kid went to every phone and is now doing this selfie here and there or whatever and so that's just who coach was. He doesn't care. He just was like, you know, he didn't, he didn't go off on the side and get away. There was a empty slot of balls. And so he's right beside 12 year olds at camp hitting balls. I think he wanted a lesson is why he really actually did it. But, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's one of the cool things that ever happened, you know, around here is because in the end it went from everybody hitting balls and then every, nobody was hitting balls, but him and everybody's got their phone out video and him hitting balls. So it was a pretty cool moment. And the well, kicker is one of those kids was Mac Jones. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> For sure. I don't, I, it'd J- be funny. Go through, look back and see some old Instagram and find out who was there because they're, they, Dunlap could have been here, to be quite honest with you, because he came to camp 10, 11, and 12 years old. Jay, we could do an hour with you. We could do a whole week of podcasts with you, stories. Uh, always good to catch up. Can't thank you enough for everything you've done for us through the past few weeks, the past couple of decades for me, and uh, hopefully it will continue for a long time to come. Uh, You're one of the best in the business and your insight on Nick Dunlap and Saban for that matter. uh, Invaluable. Love having you aboard. Well, I appreciate you guys. Y'all make college golf better. And I think something from what Nick did, I think college golf is only has a brighter future and you two really do make it a better. Um, And so from as a golf coach in college, I really appreciate what you guys do. Likewise, my friend. All the best moving forward. Look forward to keeping an eye on the Crimson Tide throughout the spring season. Great. Roll Tide. Thank there you, you go, Jay, JC. Your, uh, well, Venmo, Venmo request is <laughs> on the way. Yeah. <laughs> One of the best in the business, two time national championship coach at Alabama. Great insight. We could literally go an hour or two or three. And, um, you know, Nick Dunlap's gone. Top 70 player in the world. Going to make a lot of money, well-deserved, well-earned. And it's changed the dynamic a little bit for their team. So it's going to be intriguing to see how they get through to the other side, but it won't be for a lack of effort. But he's not the only SEC player, a standout, an All-America selection, um, going to professional golf. We're we're losing two of the very best, Brentley. You know, Caleb Surratt is... I think if you had Nick Dunlap, Gordon Sargent kind of on the top of the big board, the Mel Kuyper big board, I think we in college golf, maybe we can call it the Steve Burkowski uh, big board. But <laughs> if Nick Dunlap and Gordon Sargent were one, two in that, Caleb Surratt might be three. He could be four, maybe behind Michael Thorpe Norenson, but a huge loss for him to go to live golf. And this has been something that there have been rumblings for the last few weeks, um, rumors that he had moved out of his dorm, had dropped out of school. Um, so this is something that I think people had been expecting and it kind of made its way like wildfire around college golf, but uh, made it official on, on, on Wednesday. He's joining the Legion uh, or Legion. I keep wanting to call it Legion, but Legion eight, 
John Rahm's team, Material Hatton and Kieran Vincent, who fans of college golf will know him from just a few years ago playing at Liberty, part of those good Liberty teams with John Yon and even before that, uh, Mickey DeMora and Gabe Blench. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where we really haven't seen too many amateur defections. And that was something I thought when Liv initially started and they were having trouble getting some of the top tier guys, um, I thought they were going to really lean into the young players and the amateurs and try to get these guys before they have any sort of guarantee on their careers, right? Because it's there's a lot of unknown and PGA Tour U was still kind of in its infancy then. And since then, I think that program has made it a lot tougher uh, for these amateur players or to to want to leave the PGA Tour umbrella and get out of that program because there are there is a lot of opportunity there, as we've seen with Gordon and Ludwig Obert. And so I initially thought that we could see more amateurs going, but we had David Pooj, Eugenio Shikara, and that was really it. I think now Caleb Surratt kind of reminds everyone like, hey, yeah, we're still coming off this euphoria that is Nick Dunlap winning on tour as an amateur and accepting PGA Tour membership and all this stuff. But a top 10 amateur just went to live. Like, who's to say we don't have a couple more? So I, I don't know. I, I'm i optimistic that, um, you know, when, when all this, when all the dust settles, when all of these uh, negotiations um, kind of calm down with the tour and 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 potentially the PIF, and once we figure out kind of where golf is moving forward, um, you know, I, I I just hope that it, you know, maybe shines the spotlight a little bit brighter on, on on amateur golf and just how good these guys are. But if things stay the same, um, I I would not be surprised if we do have another Caleb Surratt like amateur go to live, you know, next season if there's a spot open. Yeah, everyone's situation is different. As you said, so many moving parts uh, in terms of two different buckets. Does it become one bucket? Well, we'll have to find out. But uh, a What's a bigger loss, college. you think, Dunlap or, or Surratt? Ooh. You'd have to probably say, Nick, you win the Junior Am, you win the U.S. Am, you're a tour winner. It's no knock on Caleb. Put him two years ago or put him two years later, he's maybe one of the top three as opposed to one of the top five or 10. So uh, splitting hairs uh, uh, on that front, at least in my opinion. But uh, I think as you it's said, relative we'll... Tennessee, like relative loss could be yeah, Tennessee. Yeah, way to look at it. As Jay said, they have Cannon Claycomb, Thomas Ponder. They had the experience there. I know Tennessee has Bryce Lewis, but um, I don't know, especially for a Tennessee team that has struggled to get, get to the NCAA championship the last two years. I, I think – you know, we could look back in a few months and say, wow, Caleb Surratt loss was a lot bigger. Yeah. Uh, from that perspective of the impact to the team. Uh, yeah. I'll lean with you there. Uh, quick recap. I know you're out at Vegas coaches convention, trying to grasp the rankings. Give us the uh, two minutes cliff notes version of what happened and maybe how close are we to, to having everything in place? Yeah. I, know that this podcast and I guess maybe more so me have has taken quite a bit of run at the rankings and some of it like many coaches probably will admit is just out of frustration that we went from a system in an environment that wasn't really broken with golf stat and now all of a sudden everything's in chaos and 
honestly, Mark Brody just kind of got thrown into the middle of it. Um, but after being at convention, after seeing the dedication by by Professor Brody to be available those two days, I mean, he spoke for probably two hours total in front of the room and then stayed for for eight total hours the two days to talk with coaches one-on-one and kind of explain things. And I sat in on some of that. Um, we had a little bit of back and forth. And I will say that I think look going forward, I, I, I do believe that this is a ranking that is going to work. Um, and in layman's terms, uh, it's easier to understand. I mean, there's a lot of in- intricacies that no, no one's really going to know how to compute this ranking off the top of their head or, if you throw them a calculator, they can't do it. But I think in layman's terms, it, it's essentially, you know, it's it's what you're expected to do in a tournament. It's how tough the field is. It's how much you end up beating teams by in your strokes game for that event. All that kind of factors in and, and you get a point number. I will say there have been some kind of things that jump out with smaller field events and and match play. I know people had an issue with that. But I do believe that once we get more events and once we get to March, early April, and we have a lot of data to kind of use, um, this will be a, a pretty good ranking um, and a pretty accurate ranking, I think, to go off. If I already think it's fairly accurate, you can make a case for um, some examples here and there. But but I do think it's going to end up being a good thing for all the, you know, kind of all the maybe negativity um and unknown from a few months ago, I, I do feel a lot more positive. The one thing to answer your question further that I think came out of the convention is a need for standard standardization in college golf. There's no kind of ifs, ands, or buts about it, but college golf can't be can't keep going down the wild, wild west format that that they've had where you have stroke play and match play and six count four, six count five. I think all that was fun, but as you're as you're looking forward and trying to get more exposure and, and, and more fans and make it easier to understand, there needs to be some sort of standardization. And maybe you have a few days, as coaches were talking about, where you play, um, you know, foursomes and different types of things. But there needs to be at least a certain a minimum number of teams in a, a tournament. You need to play. 75 or 85 percent of your schedule stroke play five count four and at least two rounds preferably three and even professor brody said this when i think it was scott schroeder from north florida asked him well are the rankings more accurate if you have more of a standard format and he said yes and so i think hearing that that just shows that you know we can't keep going down the road we are with you can play whatever the heck you want and then it's up to Brody or whoever or the committee to decide like who's ranked where. I don't, I don't think it works like that. Yeah, there's always going to be moving parts. It will be a struggle when you make what I will call a dramatic change. You know, even though it might not look like it, you have one entity who did it for 20, 30, 40 years, and now you've got a new entity. It doesn't matter how smart somebody is. It's like, okay, this is a different set of ingredients in this recipe where I'll be intrigued as we're starting to ramp up spring here in the next couple of weeks, um, as we get closer to March and April and regional rankings and invariably somebody will say, gosh, we're 68th and we should be 57th in the new system or the old system. You know what I mean? It's, it's, that's where an onus I think 
the committee or whatever powers to be that are actually in that room need to go beyond the rankings at, and, you know, in certain situations, not like, oh, okay, there's the cutoff. Will we have that person sitting in there explaining A versus B or C versus D or that team is there because two guys got sick or one of the best players on a women's team had a WD because of a wrist injury. You know what I mean? It's the minutia once you get to those maybe final 5, 10, 15 teams. And, and we've seen it. Squads schedule differently over the past 10 years or so to try to maybe get a little more match play experience or the 500 rule when it comes into play. So um, I love your optimism that you see the light at the end of the tunnel because I believe on this podcast in the fall, uh, we, we didn't quite see that light. The sky was kind of falling a little bit, um, maybe unnecessarily. So apologies there, but um, yeah, no, I, I, I do feel good about things. Good. Well, I feel good that we've kicked off 2024. Always thrilled to have JC well be part of it. Next week, we'll sort of do a deep dive into the conferences, what we think are some question marks for some teams or who the prohibitive favorites are is I always feel like February, it's it. Let's get the ball rolling. We'll have some results. And then we can sort of look at the teams, the players we think should be in good uh, positions come May and maybe others that will uh, come back uh, from a little deeper in the pack. But most importantly, always good to reconnect with you, my friend, and uh, get this new year rolling. Yeah, no, we got uh... – Tournaments are are starting to to come in hot and heavy here. Uh, we got the big uh, Therese Hessian uh, regional preview out in Palace Verdes. That kind of is always the event that kicks off at least the women's side of things. Just had Arizona's event in Tucson. We got a bunch of big heavy hitters heading out to Hawaii for the Armorari here pretty soon. Uh, it's it's here. It's it's here, Burko, and uh, it'll be uh, it'll be fun to watch. Absolutely. We will cover it from top to bottom each and every week right here on College Golf Talk. Again, for those tuning in, listening, watching, however you get it, we appreciate your continued support. And for Brentley, I'm Burko. We'll do it again next week right here on College Golf Talk.